It's the Wednesday Morning Coffee Show with your host, the Cosmic Threader. Wednesday Morning Coffee, perfect for your jog, your morning commute, or your pre-nap ritual. Yes, we understand that the soothing sounds of the Cosmic Threader's voice sometimes just puts people to sleep. And that's okay, we accept that. Some people are charged, supercharged, and some people listen to, to every word. They hang on every word of this show. And others just drift off into a drooling, mewling slumber. And that's okay, to each their own. Thanks for joining us. Uh, got a great show ahead. All right, so we have a great show lined up for you today on Wednesday. We have a poet poet coming on the show. Pan Optical Poet. What a great name. A published poet, um, a traveling poet. She's going to come on and read a couple of things for us and we'll chat a bit before that. Also, we have a bedtime tragedy. We have a short story, so that's coming up on the show. And, you know, we, we'll just let the show take us where it does. Because <laughs> that's how this show works. Now, I don't know if this is your first time tuning in or not, but I am the Cosmic Threader, and we just kind of allow things to go where they're going to go. Because you can't really plan anything in this world. I mean, you can plan things, and you can you can manifest things, but they're not necessarily going to unravel the way that you expect them to. So the more that we embrace this reality and accept it, the more, you know, it will feel natural when things don't go according to plan. With that in mind, um, let's go to the interview segment after a brief word from our fake sponsors. Looking for content that's of a reasonable to satisfactory quality? Try the Dank Web today for free. The Dank Web. A deeper, darker part of the dark web. Hello? Hello, Aaron. Panoptical Poet, you're on the air. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Welcome to the show. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Wednesday Morning Coffee. Are you, are you drinking coffee right now? 
I am always drinking coffee. I actually <laughs> have a coffee cup that has, um, it, the lid has a drip stop and a handle that I can hook onto my finger, so my coffee is, like, always with me. A drip stop? What, what's a drip stop? Like, it's got this special lid that, like, pops oh. over the, oh, the, nice. the spout, so that, like, I can okay. scrub my coffee cup in my bag and no coffee's coming out. Wow, so it's very portable. I need one like that because I bike everywhere and I'm always spilling coffee. Okay, yeah. I have to look for a drip stop. Um, so you're a poet, uh, you're a published poet, um, you're an author, uh, I don't know, do you write books as well? Um, I have written, I have, I have a short story that I'm actually going to put into some writing contests soon. I have some novels in the works, but like mostly my concentration has been poetry so far. Oh good, there's going to be actually a, a short story segment on this show. Um, there was a short story I recorded last night, so there'll be one at the end of this episode as well. Um, so when you tune in, please uh, tune into that. It's a bedtime tragedy. Um, panoptical Poet. Now, I was originally, I followed you on Instagram because of your, your handle, Panoptical Poet, and I think it's derived from the word panopticon. Is that correct? No, it isn't actually. Oh, it Although isn't? That was okay. something that I thought about when okay. I... Yeah. Um, when I when I came up with it. Um, I am also an Orton Gillingham tutor. So Orton Gillingham, um, Samuel Orton was a neurologist and he looked at reading brain patterns in everyone and he noticed that with some people, their brains don't pattern reading in the same way. And Anna Gillingham took mm. his information and turned it into a curriculum based on that. So mm. it really taught me how to break down the English language into sound groups and spelling rules. And some of the sound groups that we have are suffixes and, you know, prefixes mm. and all that. So I actually just, I looked for a word that went with poetry and I couldn't find one that I felt fit me. Mm. So I just started thinking about suffixes and prefixes <laughs> and I put together panoptical and it, it's, what it means to me is that I'm a poet who's looking at the many views of the world or trying to show okay. the many views. Okay. Pan is many mm. and optic is viewing. Okay, so, so a, a very omniscient, like a... Panopticon, yeah. I, you know, it definitely, it's something that I was thinking of when I came into the name. And, you know, maybe the the way that the government, the patriarchy controls the world. <laughs> the patriarchy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the patriarchy a little bit? On uh, We can talk about the patriarchy. It seems like uh, something you're passionate about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think I, I don't know, the patriarchy is it's something that it kind of affects us all. It's just, it's, you know, the panopticon mm-hmm. is kind of real in that way. There's a... There's a way that we're all supposed to behave and there's yeah do you think that comes from the catholic church or does it does it run even deeper than that um it's hard to say you know like i i I, history would point to the church but yeah i'm not a moral absolutist okay that comes out of everything yeah do you attend church yourself are you spiritual at all i if i was anything i would say i was pagan and i identify mostly with like Celtic history and stuff. Yeah. I do, my, my name mm. is Aaron. It means Ireland. My oh, okay. does have so Irish, yeah. in, in those areas. So. Cool, cool. Because uh, I've noticed that uh, some churches, like the Anglican Church, for example, which is a split off from the Catholic Church, they've actually started incorporating more Celtic practices back into their liturgy. With, you know, so they'll start putting things like a labyrinth on part of their church grounds. Yeah. Uh, well, they took, yeah. They took their practices 
from the Celtic pagans to begin with. Well, exactly. So, to, but it's so it's really funny now. Like it's very ironic. They're they're reincorporating some of the things that they they helped to to erase in the past. And that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. And yeah. There you go, like there's you know the moral absolutism again. Like, yeah. Where that wouldn't be serving us because you know maybe yeah there was problems made but. Maybe they're working to correct. Well, yeah, there's always reconciliation, right? And that's, I mean, when you talk about reconciliation, that's a huge issue in this province. Um, I've seen statues erected for reconciliation when it talks about indigenous rights and indigenous um, injustices that have happened in the in the the history of this province. And some of my native friends are are very offended by these statues that have been erected because yeah. it it really. You know, it doesn't fix anything, really. You put up a statue, it doesn't really solve anything. Unfortunately, I think in this whole country, reconciliation has kind of become a lip service word. I have a really yeah. good friend and yeah. indigenous activist, Nikoi Kapanusi, Okay. and I don't know if he coined this term, but he uses it all the time, and there's a good chance that he did. He said, you know, we need reconciliation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that is a yeah. good word. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that because I think, you know, I mean, of course I love words and they're great, but I think, I think people throw them around a lot without thinking about Yeah. Them. Yeah. Do you have a favorite word? I mean, I know it's hard to pick. Ooh. Yeah. I'd have to think about that for a mm. while. I yeah. Well, know. think on it. If, if you, if you think of a, a word that, that comes, I'm trying to think if I have a favorite word. There's, there's some long ones that I learned when I was younger. Uh, anti, <laughs> anti-establishmentarianism. Have you heard that one? That's one of the longest words. I just actually learned a word, but I couldn't tell you what it means right now. I've forgotten that. But oh, what's the it word? It came up when I was writing something. I was looking for descriptive words, and the word luculent came up. Luculent? Yeah. Okay. That was really interesting. That, that's one I've never heard. That's. Right? I'm going to look that up later. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had written down the meaning so I could tell you. Sorry. I wish you had, too. Um, now, you're going to read... You have some poetry for us. Do you want to... Uh, uh, choose one of them and, and just go right into it if, if you're ready to read. Sure. Well, since we were talking about reconciliation, yeah. I actually have a, a poem that I wrote oh, good. after the last election, and it's called The good. Face of the Problem. Sure, yeah. Just go ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to grab a sip of water. Sorry. Yeah. Make sure I'm... No worries. Yeah. It's good to stay hydrated out there. It is so hot right now. Is it? You're <laughs> yeah, in the Kootenays, right? You're back in the Kootenays? Yeah. And do you hail from Nelson? Is that right? I grew up in Caslow. Oh, okay, Caslow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I I've been through there. I'm living in Castlegar. Okay. Um, well, actually, I moved to Kelowna first, and then spent some time living in Castlegar, and then I moved up to Prince George for 12 years, and now I'm back living in Castlegar again. Yeah, Prince George. <laughs> 12 years is about as much as anyone can take of Prince George, I would say. Yeah, well, I mean, Prince George has its good things too, but yeah, it definitely has some problems. They have a giant. Uh, they have a giant man. They have a giant log man as you're driving into town, don't they, Mr. PG? Yeah, I yeah. probably shouldn't say too much about Mr. PG because he's <laughs> a very beloved mascot. Is he? Uh, I, I think it's funny. I, 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 I'm not one of his fans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see too, though, how like you know that 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 area has been built on industry. Oh, definitely. So it yeah. Makes yeah. sense to have such an industrial figure yeah. as a mascot. Although, apparently it's being run by drugs now. I heard that uh, that town is being run by the Hells Angels. Yeah, I, would, I don't know who it's being run by. There's definitely yeah. a lot of drug problems. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's... And yeah. Um, unfortunately, nobody in, in the government seems to be doing much about it. Um, there's a man named Daniel Roy who's been in the news a lot more lately. Oh, yeah. And you can find a lot of stories about him, but I actually know him... I, I knew him before when he was on the street. We didn't know each other well, but mm -hmm. he was always a nice guy, and I talked okay. to him whenever I saw him, and he's... Mm. Daniel Roy his life around and is now working to try and address some of the problems that he recognizes because he was in them. Mm. So yeah, he's a really interesting person. Yeah, but yeah all of all of that kind of you know the it, it it all ties together with capitalism and and yeah yeah <laughs> into the should I read this poem? Yeah, go go right in. Just go right in. Okay, so this is called the face of the problem. Okay. Instead of choosing to elect a man with a brown face, Canada elected to have a prime minister who wore blackface as a part of his costume. Like the headdress he donned and the pride flags he waved, all a disguise to fool the populace into thinking he is one of us. But Crudeau could never represent my Canada, because my Canada doesn't exist. Instead, we have a land that seems to be frozen in the past decorated with multicultural rhetoric, trying to hide the fact that we are a country of racists. The fact that even if we each have a black friend, we don't say anything to our other white friends when they put up posts containing the N-word and other racial slurs we wouldn't use in polite company. We pretend that our problem with niqabs lies in the fact that facial identification becomes more difficult, rather than admitting that we have difficulty coexisting with anyone who identifies as other. Six days of the week, we are united against cyberbullying. But when a 16-year-old girl uses science to challenge our worldview, we become the bullies. We start whining about Wexit when Brexit isn't even finished wrecking Europe. We talk about reconciliation and say we are sorry for stealing children while complacently watching Indigenous women disappear like bottles of water flying off of Walmart shelves during fire season. I, for one, did not vote for this imbalance of power with a white boys club firmly entrenched at the top. It's hard to be proud right now, but I am proud to say that I did not choose this, and this is not my Cook Canada. That's and great. I say Cook Canada at the end because um, actually Smogelgam, he's a, a hereditary chief of the Wet'suwet'en, he's the one I heard saying that first, but he put mm. three Ks at the beginning of Canada because we do have racial problems that people don't want yeah. to recognize. Yeah, and it's interesting that... Um, you know, you call out Trudeau for the blackface, and it sort of feels like a lot of Canadians let that slide. You know, it was big in the news, and then it just kind of just dropped off. Yeah, but I think I think I think that's where it ties into capitalism and patriarchy. Like capitalism, to me, has kind of created almost an absence of culture where we just have this mall culture. Like, because it's a culture of control, you know, and we have this mall culture. And this celebrity culture, and that's supposed to keep us all distracted. But really, it's kind of a avoided absence of culture. So when you have people like like Frida Houston and Smogelgam who are trying to, you know, celebrate their culture and their traditions, mm -hmm. that's a real threat to capitalism. For sure. And, you know, when it comes to cultural identity, why don't we have you know, ancient practices that come from Native traditions as part of our Canadian cultural identity. Why why does it have to be that we're, you know, hockey-watching, beer-drinking slobs? Like, that, that seems to be the narrative that they push on us. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's a big part of the problem. Like, I think a lot yeah. of 
feel yeah. that void. Yeah. I don't necessarily know how to fill it. Like for myself, I've studied a lot of Celtic history and looked into, oh, yeah. you know, what, like, because I do agree cultural appropriation can be a problem. And oh, you know, huge. Yeah. Spirituality is great, but I'm not indigenous. Yeah. And there are parts of that culture that they won't really, you know, they probably, they may not ever resonate with me because it, it's not where I'm from. You know? But you know what's, you know what's interesting? Um, there's a lot of uh, synchronicities between Celtic uh, practices and and Native American practices. It, you know, it's it's more circular. It's more connected to the earth, and a lot of those things have been appropriated and erased. You know, perhaps by the pa- patriarchy or by you know capitalists. You know, by the system. Let's say. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I would encourage all you know everybody to do is you know find out what your your heritage is and explore that. And yeah. Yeah. the cultural void with that. Yeah, try to find a real identity instead of, you know, the celebrity cult identif- identity or, you know... Or appropriating somebody else's. Or appropriating really, someone else's, you know, yeah. like, I love the Kootenays, but there's so many people who are taking cultural practices here and using them in a yeah. way that they maybe shouldn't be because they don't oh, really? have permission and they really? don't... You know, they don't they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And can you can you give a them. can you give a specific example of of um, don't name any names, but can you give no, us no. an example of of how that's happening? Well, the only one I actually have is from from the north. It was connected to one of my jobs. I won't necessarily say which one, but yeah, um, they they put on a workshop about the medicine wheel, which is something that is very much a part of indigenous culture and and it can be very helpful for everybody and it's teachings that can be shared with everybody but the company that i was working for at the time had the workshop shop put on by a woman who was i don't know what her heritage was but she was white and she didn't have indigenous heritage so she and she couldn't you know like she couldn't she didn't start the workshop by saying, I learned these teachings from this indigenous person who comes from this indigenous culture, and they gave me this permission to teach this. Hmm. She just said, I've seen these teachings around, and I think they're really helpful, so hmm. I want to keep, I want to spread them. And that's nice, Yeah. but, you know, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. And perhaps she's, she's you know, what is her motivation, I guess? Yeah. You know, is it just because this is trendy right now and she wants to be part of what's going on? Or does she actually yeah. believe in it, you know? Yeah, that brings me to a term that I don't know if I coined, but that I love. And I, I didn't hear it a lot before I started, but slacktivist. <laughs> like so many people, you know, they want to look like they're doing something. Like, yeah. oh, I love Prince George. I, I hope they're not mad at me. The parts on the window thing to me is such a perfect example of this. Like, Why would they be mad at you? Uh, are, do you have a knack for getting into trouble? I heard a little rumor that you have a knack for getting into trouble. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Just, I, I'm, I'm outspoken. And, you know, if I, like, I don't mean to offend people, but I'm, I'm not going to pretend things. Well, I'm tough to offend, so why don't you say something that you think that a lot of people find offensive, and then I'll just react to it. Well, um... Like I'm something that, that you've said in the past that, that has got you into trouble, maybe. I'm not a feminist. You're not a feminist, and that get that gets you into trouble saying that. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of women feel like I'm betraying all women by not being a feminist. Okay, uh, so what are your reasons for for saying I, I'm not a feminist? Um, well, first I, I want to say that you know I, I really do recognize that feminism 
was necessary maybe at some points and is necessary in some places because there was a time when women didn't have a voice and you know me even being on this podcast talking about whether or not I choose to be a feminist would be something that I would have potentially even been burned at the stake for really really yeah for sure wow interesting so you know I do recognize that there's a lot of great feminist women that have got us to this point where we are but you know the renaissance was a great part of the art period mm-hmm. but we didn't stay there eventually it and you know it, it everything ends time, everything and ends it was time yeah. to move on yeah and i feel like i feel like you know a lot of women have have decided that taking your clothes off and and sexualizing yourself in a way that complements the male gaze more than the female, what females want, you know, that's feminism. Um, there's just yeah, there's there's a weird trend, isn't there? That like I've noticed uh, white 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 feminism has been really problematic, and I agree with that. Like you know, that a lot of a lot of well-intentioned white women want to go and tell Muslim women that they can't wear a niqab, you know, and that's that's not their or it, that's not their right. Yeah, it's interesting how. You know, the the ones who claim to be bullied end up being the bullies uh, sometimes. It's interesting. Well, I you know, I think that you're a free thinker. I think that's all it is. And sometimes people feel threatened by free thinkers. So maybe that's what's getting you into trouble is you're, you're not one to follow the herd mentality. No, I'm not. And I think maybe because I'm... I'm pretty outspoken and opinionated. I think a lot of people maybe think that I'm really attached to my beliefs and convictions. And mm. for sure, sometimes I am, but I'm also very open to learning. Okay. You know? and, and I think, I think that's, that's the main thing with everybody. Like we, at the end of the day, nobody really knows, you know, how, how, why we're here, how it all started, what yeah, the point no. of anything is. What is so, the point of anything? Know, just <laughs> anyone is yeah. going to get anybody anywhere. Yeah. What about the police? Do you do you think we should be defunding the police right now? Is that something you can get behind? Yeah, um, yes. I mean, I think a lot of people have have interesting ideas about what defund the police means. I, I support it in the idea that I I do unfortunately think that humans as groups are not always very good at policing themselves. So I think True. we do have yeah. to have some kind of force to, mm-hmm. you know, help keep everyone in line in a way. But I, I also really agree. Um, I've, I've had some interesting experiences, actually, in filing complaints against the police. I, I come from Prince George, where the Highway of Tears is um, a more prominent issue. Yeah. The Highway of Tears is in that oh, area. It's, it's still a problem, right? Like, they, there's so much dirt that they have to dig up on that and investigations yeah. i mean i th- i think really the real reason that it hasn't been investigated is it would basically dismantle the, the rcmp as we know it because they're probably culpable in you know some ways and probably multiple ways that's what i suspect I is actually going on, on that. I won't, I won't yeah agree but i know that a lot of people who say stuff like that have have had problems with the police and that oh really so maybe yeah. i should maybe yeah, i should edit I, that out <laughs> yeah um, I'm an education assistant as a job, and mm-hmm. 
in in my job, I take something called um, trauma informed practice training, mm-hmm. or you know, like um, crisis prevention intervention. I take two days of this every two years minimum. Okay. And what this is is me learning all sorts of verbal first verbal techniques for de-escalating a situation, and then also physical techniques for protecting myself without hurting another person. Mm-hmm. I found out through my course of complaining against the police that they only get three hours of that training in the course of their entire career. In- Interesting. Not nearly enough. Not enough. No, particularly when they like that should be a a big part of their job is de-escalating situations so that they don't get out of hand, right? Or actually, you know, here's one of the good things about Prince George. They've recently um, instituted, and I actually got to see this in action. It was really neat when I was there. Um, They've instituted a program called Car 60. So in Car 60, there's a police officer riding around with a social worker. So when I was at um, stopped at 7-Eleven with a friend to get coffee. There was a man who was kind of passed out outside. And at first, me and my friend were sitting there watching this, trying to figure out what to do, right? Because we're like, do we call the police for a wellness check? Is that going to help anyone? Yeah. But then the police car showed up anyway. But thankfully, we saw this social worker get out of the side, you know, side door of the car. And they talked to the man. And, um, Mm. yeah, he didn't end up going in the car. I'm not sure exactly what happened. But it was... The situation was de-escalated properly. Like, he was moved on, so he wasn't, you know, creating a problem in that area. But the situation was de-escalated, so he wasn't harmed at all. So sometimes the system works. I guess it can. um, Yeah. have to make it work like my father is a politician and and he's he's very very much a part of the system to change it from within and i respect that but it's not something i could do but i i do agree with him Mm. that you know we have to exercise our rights as citizens like rights to vote also um Susan Jane Gilman wrote the book Kiss My Tiara the Neo-Feminist Manifesto and she has a whole (laughs) section in there where she talks about Sorry, but when when it's that time of the month and women are irrationally angry, why not take that time to phone your politician? You know, <laughs> use it. And yeah, so use the fire. To do it, but yeah. He makes a great point, as does my father. Like, there are yeah. avenues for complaint. Yeah. And I, I wonder. complaining that unfortunately they can be, like, I've sent, I, I've had to make a complaint against the police because they mishandled the case for me where I was a victim, but, like, I've sent over 200 emails and had very little wow. response. So. Wow. You know, it, it really is difficult, but still, I think it's important for us to make those steps. It is. It's very tough to get a hold of, of elected officials these days, and even it's it's tough to even get a hold of the the bureaucracy that are that's that are running these various departments. Um, particularly with the internet, they want people to email first. They don't want to field phone calls at all. Um, and if you write a letter, you're lucky to hear back. You know, good luck. <laughs> needs an overhaul, but as long as it's the system that governs our society, I'm going to do my best to, you know, use the parts of it that I can to make things better, and for me, that yeah. is voting. I think government has has gotten away with too much for too long. I think that they're, they're no longer accountable to yeah. the voters, and I think that's something that needs to change. That's something I'd like to see change. Um, I... I've helped organize rallies as well, and peaceful, you know, yeah, but I, yeah. uh, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. I was fully in support of, of a lot of the blockades that the Indigenous people made in Canada this year. The ones that, like, to me, you know, people were upset when they were blocking trains. Well, no, like, 
this country values economics over almost everything else. Yeah. So I think the indigenous people were right on. Yeah. In, you know, like, yeah. you're cutting off our economics, so we're going to do the same to you. They weren't hurting anybody. Yeah. They were just showing, you know, like, if you're going to keep putting blocks up for our economics, yeah. we're going to put some up for yours, too. And that's well, totally fair. Those are, yeah, those are it is fair. It is fair because there's there's been a break in trust. There are, there are tribes in northern Alberta, for example, that allowed the pipelines and allowed the oil sands to go ahead with the understanding that the land would be respected. And then they saw their land just decimated. So they have every right to protest that. They have every right to feel betrayed because they have been betrayed, you know, and and they were told one thing and then, you know, the economy trumped everything else. Exactly. You know, so they have every right to protest and you have a right to support that. Um, do you have a second poem for us? I do, and actually, it's it's kind of it's about a little bit about that. Like, oh, good. Um, it ties in in a way. I'll read the poem and then I guess explain how it kind of ties into. Sure. Yeah. It's called '90s Kids. <laughs> Here's to the kids who never put down their skateboards. Despite fresh gray in their sideburns, they still deem four wheels on a plank, sans helmet and pads, of course a more than acceptable way to travel. To and from work, to the grocery store, or anywhere else most adults would take a car. Here's to the kids who still blast Pantera to pump themselves up before a big boardroom meeting, who hide concert t-shirts under suits and ties like some kind of undercover rock and roll hero. Here's to the kids drinking Penny Royal tea on a plane in utero, and here's to Dave Grohl for carrying on with us. <laughs> the kids who are becoming moms and dads that are tattooed and pierced and have hair that is too long or too bleached, a far cry from the poofy bouffant dues and polo shirts their own parents put on to be parents. Here's to the kids who run small backwoods farms and eat sumptuous concoctions of roots and tubers that they have harvested by hand, the ones who install solar panels on their roofs in an effort to live sustainably and as a bonus wave a finger at big business in the process. Here's to Wayne's World and Stuart Smalley, its Pat, Deep Thoughts, and everything else that decade of SNL churned out for our entertainment. R.I.P. Chris Farley forever. Oh. Here's to the 90s and to the kids from it who aren't buying into the reality that capitalism has created for us. The kids who are becoming adults who still don't believe in 9 to 5 or bottom lines that lack heart or food that isn't food, who have long hair regardless of gender that comes in three colors, who still wear short shorts at 32, the kind with front pockets that hang out the bottom because they still have the legs for it. <laughs> Here's to the kids who will never put down their skateboards. <laughs> nice. <laughs> are you a boarder? Do you, do you identify as a boarder? I do not, but I was okay. in Prince George, and I saw two adults longboarding home with their groceries. Yeah. I, I was an adult at that point, too, and I was just thinking how, like, like the 80s was really about mall culture and capitalism. <laughs> like, that really won yeah. over in the 80s. It's yeah, Wayne's World, of course, and, and that was nice of you to tip your hat to Chris Farley. That's, I, you know, he's <laughs> uh, he's one of the best SNL comics, I think, ever, and, and unfortunately, he died quite young. Yeah. Well, all all good things must come to an end, and uh, unfortunately, I do have to bring this interview to an end because uh, I have to get on to other things. But I really, I am really happy you came on. Um, I think you have a really unique perspective. Uh, you're a fellow British Columbian, and you're a native to Castlegar. Is that correct? Yeah, and you can find okay. that poem in particular in my chapbook, and you can find it at a few retail locations, including the Humble Bean here in Castlegar. Okay, and you are you performing uh, anytime soon? Can we can people locally come and see you? 
Unfortunately, there's not a lot of performing events. Um, Nothing I'm coming on. Nelson Writers Council, who organizes words on Baker, and we've done a few words in the void um, online events. And we oh, okay. Do another one. So words in the void. If someone searches that, will they find you? Uh, they probably could. Yeah, you okay. could. You could search words on Baker, and you'd find a couple pages, and we've got videos there from that. And also, you can find me if you look for the Panoptical Poet. I'm on YouTube, Instagram. Okay. Facebook. Okay. So you just search Panoptical Poet, and we should be able to find what you're involved with. Yeah, well, you can find some of my performances. Great. Well, it's been wonderful. I, I wish you the best of luck with all of your publications and your political activism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on Wednesday Morning Coffee, and uh, have a great day. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. My weird un Uncle Carl. A bedtime tragedy. Once upon a time, my weird Uncle Carl was on his fifth divorce. She was leaving him, she said. She didn't like the way he breathed at night. During the day, she could stand it, but something in him changed when he was horizontal, heavy breathing. He was a horizontal, heavy breather, and she just couldn't stand it. Her name was Pippa. She was a happy-go-lucky, lovely young woman when my creepy Uncle Carl met her. Now she was a bitter, aging agoraphobiac. That's right, she was afraid to leave the house. So this was a problem for the divorce because that would mean that Carl had to leave. She hadn't paid a cent for that house, not a single red penny. It was all Uncle Carl's money. All of it. Beautiful. Three gable home, two stories, full basement, double garage. There was a roadster in the garage. She was keeping the van and the SUV, but Carl was allowed to have the roadster. She set aside a luggage kit for him. The old ratty one. She was keeping the new stuff. She set out. You have 24 hours. Now, Uncle Carl, having been to a few rodeos in his day, was all right with it. At least for now. Sometimes it takes a few hours for these things to hit you. One minute, he was basking in the pool out back. The next minute, she's telling him to leave. Take his shit and go. In no uncertain terms, no uncertain terms. Now, Carl knew she meant business, so he accepted the luggage kit and started packing. Now, Carl wasn't a minimalist. He's what some would refer to as a maximalist. Or, in Less friendly terms, a hoarder. He was a dirty hoarder. He liked stuff, reams and reams of stuff. He was a clothes horse, which meant he owned about 25 suits alone. You know, and that didn't even include sport jackets. These were full on suits. He had about 15 different sports jackets, three tuxes, 
He even owned a dress, and he wasn't sure how he'd acquired that, but it was there, maybe one Halloween. So as he stood there, staring at the lacy red remains of an old Halloween costume, Uncle Carl thought to himself, well, this could be it for me. Maybe I'll be terminally single. Maybe this is the end of the line for me. Five wives in, maybe I'm just not meant to be married. So he packed his stuff and he went. He went off to this dirty, dirty motel. He stayed in room 27, which was the nicest room in the joint. It was still falling apart. 60-year-old motel. So he tossed and turned and he slept maybe two hours, got up early, had the complimentary breakfast, which consisted of some dry toast and some margarine. Carl wasn't fond of margarine, he liked butter and bagels. This was just dry toast. <coughs> he coughed. Dry toast, washed it down with the acidic coffee that had been sitting there for hours and went off on his way. Went to his usual spot for breakfast, real breakfast, second breakfast. That dry toast couldn't possibly get him through till noon. Then he saw her, his wife, coming towards him. It was like a dream. She's walking towards him with a huge smile on her face and she held something in her in her hand, a piece of paper, maybe an invitation or or an apology or, or something. And Carl's heart started to pound. He started to get his hopes up. He started thinking, oh, thank God, she's come to her senses. She really loves me after all. She approached and she, she walked up to him, straight up to him, big smile on her face, and said those three special words as she handed him the piece of paper said to him, you've been served. I'll see you in court on Tuesday. This has been a bedtime tragedy brought to you by Blimp Theatre Company and Whole Media. If you enjoyed this particular version, feel free to send us a message on Instagram, Cosmic Threader on Instagram, or you can go to the YouTube channel and leave a comment. Also, the Cosmic Threader on YouTube. Whatever you're doing, we hope you're having a wonderful Wednesday or whatever day you happen to be listening to this.